Do please sit down. So that what then does Remembrance Sunday amount to amongst such suffering, amongst the continuing carnage of war, amongst such catalogues of human misery? Why bother, we may ask, to remember when we know that there will be other wars, further genocides? Well, not surprisingly, I think it amounts to something very important. The most common form of remembrance follows personal loss. And for many today, this and every Remembrance Sunday is a very personal day, including many who've been serving in the British military over these last 20 years. But here's a memorial from the family of a trooper Grant, aged 24, from the 2nd Fife and 4th Yeomanry. He died for those he loved, and those he loved remember. But collectively, we undertake an act of remembrance for those to whom we're not related, don't know personally, but who've lost their lives in some general cause or great disaster. We're all touched in some way or other by remembering the dead of the great wars, or the victims of the Holocaust, or the terrible events of September 11th, or what's going on in Russia and Ukraine today. For the survivors and the relatives of those who've died, the memory is more acute, more personal, more searing, But the magnitude of what has happened produces a collective, not just an individual sense of loss and suffering. That's certainly one important reason why we should remember, but on its own I don't think it's enough. In the Hebrew tongue, to remember means more than just recounting such events and facts, tragic and important though they are. The Bible acknowledges remembering with thanksgiving, constantly underlying that true people of faith not only remember, but return to give thanks, whilst unbelievers have short and ungrateful memories. And that applies to nations as well as to individuals. And remembering also carries with it the intention of learning from the past, bringing the lessons into the present and then carrying them with us out into the future. That intent, I think, is twofold. First, to help produce a better future, a collective resolve to do better, a determination to ensure that the evil that is past will not reoccur easily, but secondly, to give us individual resolve as we face up to the future crises and conflicts in our own lives, which we know there will be many of. Jonathan Sachs, the chief rabbi, once said that those who carry the heritage of the past can face the future without fear. That doesn't mean to say that there'll be no more pain or suffering, only that we can bear it better love better. A Polish Jew was once asked how he had gained the courage and the strength to survive the horrors of the concentration camps. He replied that whilst character is the sum of many things, much of it stems from all that we do and learn in our early years. He explained that Jewish history is full of tragedy, but also examples of individual and collective courage. And as a child and a young student, he'd learned all about that history, and he had resolved that if a testing time should ever come to him, he would do his utmost to stand firm. He'd learned the lessons of the past, he carried them with with him through his life, and when the testing time came, he did indeed manage to stand firm. And the traditions and the regimental histories of the British Army have always tried to provide this same kind of resolve. And all young officers and soldiers quickly become rooted in their regiment or battalion's past in order to help them maintain 
and uphold the honor of the regiment or battalion in the future. Now, there are, of course, lots of other lessons we can learn from the events that we remember today, and I would offer just two. First, we must not take the freedom and democracy we enjoy today for granted. And events in Ukraine, of course, reiterate that. The Berlin Wall may have come down, but sadly the heart of man has not and will not change. Since the start of recorded history, there have been perhaps around 270 years of worldwide peace. 270 out of about 3,500. Can we really believe? Indeed, do we have any right to believe that that won't change? The Bible certainly doesn't promise that the world will somehow evolve into a better place. Indeed, the reverse is true. As Jesus says in Matthew 24, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, for these must happen. Not until the return of the Lord himself will we see war finally overcome. Why? Because we, fall, we, we live in a fallen world with one central and major problem. You may remember the famous letter sent to the Times during the debate many years ago on what was wrong with the world. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who wrote in a simple reply, I am. As Paul reminds us in his letter to the church in Rome, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Secondly, peace is not just about an absence of war. As a soldier for over 40 years, I faced the reality of war breaking out around me, experienced its effects, the bitterness of religious bigotry and division in Northern Ireland, ethnic division and hatred in Cyprus and across the Balkans, and oppression and barbarism in Iraq. I've seen some pretty awful things in those conflicts and have experienced the pain of loss. But two, throughout this time, I've come to understand that peace is not about an absence of war, nor is it about a pain or crisis-free life. Jesus Christ said many things about peace, but not once did he associate it with the world as a whole, but rather with an individual, inner, spiritual peace. I have told you these things, he said, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In this nuclear age, we would do well to remember what General Bradley, the U.S. commander in France over 75 years ago, when he said this, humanity is in danger of being trapped in this world by its moral adolescence. Our knowledge of science has clearly outstripped our capacity to control it. Man is stumbling through a spiritual darkness whilst toying with the secrets of life and death. We have too many people of science, too few people of God. We have grasped the mystery of the atom and rejected the sermon on the mount. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. Now I have no time for pious hopes, but as a soldier I've seen enough and learned enough of both peace and war over the last 40 years or so to know that he was right then and he is even more right now. Jesus' peace is a peace that the world cannot give. Indeed, it has to be said the world largely doesn't understand it. And Remembrance Sunday should serve as a reminder of that too. Finally, Remembrance Sunday is, of course, epitomized by the poppy. At the Second Battle of Ypres in 1915, when in charge of a small first aid post, 
and during a short lull in the battle, a Canadian colonel called John McRae, in peacetime a well-known professor of medicine at the great Canadian University of McGill, wrote in, a pen, in pencil on a page torn from his dispatch book these words. In Flanders' fields the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row that mark our place. And in the sky the larks still bravely sing, singing fly scarce heard amidst the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with those who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. In January 1918, Colonel John McRae was brought as a stretcher case himself to one of the big hospitals on the Channel Coast of France. And on the third evening there, he was wheeled out onto the balcony of his room to look over the sea towards England. The verses were obviously on his mind because he told the doctors, tell them this, if they break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep. That same night, John McRae died. He's buried in a beautiful cemetery on rising ground above Vimeroux from where the cliffs of Dover are easily visible on sunny days. The verses, the verses he wrote were sent anonymously to Punch magazine and published under the title Flanders Fields, which is where our poppies come from today that we wear. Now, it's of course easy on a day like today to become somewhat over-somber or sentimental. But the fact remains nonetheless that those who died, like John McRae, the Thorns, and the 19-year-old private who lies at Bayeux, were no different to us. They had the same hopes and fears that we do. They enjoyed life and had plans for the future. And yet when the call came, they were prepared to die to save Europe and the world from oppression and dictatorships. When you go home, tell of us and say, for your tomorrow we gave our today. To give one's life is as much as there is to give. It is the ultimate sacrifice. As Jesus himself said, greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends and he should know when we talk about sacrifice we need to see it in the perspective of a hill outside Jerusalem where God gave his only son for you and for me and for the world the great reconciliation in Dusseldorf there used to be a famous painting of the crucifixion on the wall of the cathedral and as you looked up into the eyes of Christ the words at the base of the painting asked all this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? It's a good question. I wonder what your answer is. So it is with the Flanders poppy as our symbol. We remember and we return to give thanks for all those who've given their lives for our freedom and for those, of course, who suffer still. We, of course, too, pray for peace and reconciliation. But if we are wise, we also learn and remember some lessons of the past and carry them with us into our uncertain futures as we leave this church today. For although we may not know what the future holds, we can at least know and trust in him who holds the future. And when our time comes, we too can say, like the words on the tombstone of a young soldier in the British War Cemetery in the northern part of Baghdad, my duty done, labor ended 
Jordan passed. Amen.